Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross Sapp here for the Fightful.com podcast for September 6th, post-Labor Day edition. I am joined by Showdown Joe. This show brought to you by On It. Go, go there to our podcast page, Fightful.com slash podcast. Open up any of our previous podcasts. You will see that On It link. Check out a great world of apparel, of equipment, of supplements, all that good stuff. The undefeated UFC fighter CM Punk has been seen wearing On It shirts. You can too, my friends. Also by Draft Beast, it's happening Thursday, guys. Thursday, the NFL season kicks off. And there's no better way that I could think of to celebrate the beginning of a new NFL season than to take all your money from you people. So go there, draftbeast.com. If you didn't buy me a wedding gift, I'll just, what I'll do is I'll win your money from you. Then I will buy myself something, wrap it up. I will hire a courier to bring it to my house and I'll do an unboxing video for Fightful.com of me opening the gift that I buy myself with your money. So that you all have that to look forward to. DraftBeast.com, that's a place to be. Showdown Joe, how are you? Doing pretty good there, married man. I think uh, all is well. Great uh, time away with my family. Uh, last three days, obviously with the, uh, the holiday on the Monday yesterday. Uh, had some, um, I'll say... Various embarrassing jet ski incidents. Uh, the first time uh, for those that own boats or jet skis, you know, at the back where you got to put your plugs in so water doesn't go into the engine. Yeah, this guy sort of uh, went on my jet ski way too many times to mention. And this weekend I forgot to put the plugs in and got stuck in the middle of a lake and had to get towed back uh, by a wonderful young lady who saved the day uh, until I got to the doctor shot and obviously got ridiculed. Uh, for the next two days, and then we tried to figure out what was wrong, blah, blah, blah. In the end, no damage whatsoever. It just loosened up the battery terminals and um, a pretty big expense uh, saved. Uh, so you had to be towed to back. I understand why you want to take people's money because your money is gone uh, as of, okay. uh, what, 48 hours ago. You're toast, bud. Oh, yeah, and now we're looking at potentially buying a house 
renting. We don't know. We don't know. Guys, support Fightful.com. That way I'm not broadcasting this out of a cardboard box off of my neighbor's Wi-Fi. Uh, we have to look at possibly buying a house, something of that nature. You had to be towed back, you say. Yeah, so we couldn't figure out what was going on. There's a couple of other incidents as well, but when it, when it stalled, but when um, the, the girl that showed up there was just pure magic. She rolls up because I was actually riding with another friend's uh, fiance, and we're just cruising the lake, and then we stopped to talk to determine whether or not we're going to go through this riverbed. Uh, we saw swimmers there. We're like, you know what, let's just go back and come back in about an hour. Let's take some of the kids out for a spin. All right, cool. And as I go to turn it back on, I wouldn't turn over. I wouldn't do anything. And then she's like, I'll be back. And she takes off. <laughs> I'm there, I, grab, I got a mini paddle. I open up the paddle up and I start, I start rowing. And I'm trying and I'm trying. I am getting nowhere fast. And I look up to see where the sun is and I'm like, we got a problem here. We got to figure this out because if I have to roll this thing back to where, where the dock is, I'm in big trouble. Next thing you know, she pulls up. Dude, I'm telling you, if there was ever a, a I don't know, like, for all you older guys out there, MacGyver or whatever, she just jumps off her jet ski, big rope in hand, swims over to the front. I'm just watching her go. She swims to the front of my, uh, we're talking 150 feet of water here, jumps over, ties a knot on my jet ski in the front, swims back to hers, tied on the back. She jumps back on her jet ski, and I'm like, the heck just happened here? She looks back at me, winks, and says, hold on. Holy smoke, <laughs> she took me back. She told me back to shore. For a good minute there, I must have gotten sprayed with just picture like a fire hose of just water all over the place, trying to hold on. You, you can't steer. So, yeah, it was a good time. It was good. Uh, it was fun to finally get back. And then I just got ridiculed because a lot of people were, it was a busy weekend at the beach. Everyone knew, quote unquote, Showdown Joe was there from the TV show and blah, blah. And they were just ripping me nonstop. So, yeah, good weekend. It could have been worse. At least you got towed and not fingered, Joe. Good point. It could be worse. We had UFC Germany on Saturday. Interesting show at the towards the tail end, I'll say. Some of the notable results from the prelims. Rustam Kabilov beat uh, Leandro Silva. 29-28, 29-28, 30-27. We questioned why this match was the opener. Now Kabilov has won three in a row after dropping two in a row. That's, that's a very promising thing for him. He, three straight decisions, so he's not winning in fantastic fashion. But he's become a mainstay almost on these, these European cards this year. He's been on three of them. England, uh, I think the, the show in the Netherlands, and in Germany. Uh, I think he's created himself a nice little niche in doing that. So that, that's kind of cool. Where do you think he stands in this lightweight division? Because it's about to get a lot more interesting if a guy named Conor McGregor decides to go after that title. Yeah, for sure. I mean... I've seen Habilov in person uh, when I was over in, in Bahrain. Uh, he was there alongside um, uh, Nurmagomedov. And, and these guys were just absolute murderers and monsters in the gym there. Now, the talent level that was there training wasn't that high. Obviously, Frankie Edgar side and Hansel Gracie and stuff like that. But that's when I really got a sense of you know, how awesome Habilov is. But it doesn't matter what you do in a gym. It's when you get to the octagon and when you get to the cage and, and you see that, that, you know, the fact that, you know, Leandro Silva went the full 15 minutes with him shows you how good Silva is as well because I, I, I place a lot of stock in a guy like Hobbylov. I mean, I, I pegged this guy uh, even to the point where Frankie Edgar was kind of just, you know, nodding his head. He's like, man, this is a bad dude. Like, I mean, you know, not that Frankie Edgar would ever be afraid of him, but he was giving him crazy respect. Uh, and the same thing with Nurmagomedov and 
know, this, those two guys were owning that room, beating the crap out of each other, you know, taking care of sparring partners and do what they got to do. I always figured he'd be much, he'd be further ahead in his UFC career than he is right now. You know, unfortunately being the opener uh, of a UFC, you know, event in Germany on fight pass. I, I mean, I didn't see that coming. I thought for sure by this point, uh, he'd be on some main cards, maybe some pay-per-views, but I guess sometimes it takes longer than, than, than most, sometimes it takes longer for some guys, uh, you know, Dana White said it before to get used to being in the octagon. So give him time and we'll see what happens. But where is he right now? Man, this is a 155 pound weight division, man. Light, lightweights and welterweights are the two most stacked divisions uh, in MMA. That's naturally where the, the male, the average male body would fall into. Uh, other than that, you're either a small guy at featherweight and flyweight and stuff like that and bantamweight, or you're a big dude that doesn't cut weight and, you know, you can cut to, to middleweight, but 155 and 170 is a very, very tough division. It takes a long time for most guys to actually move up there, unless, like you said, you're Conor McGregor. You look back, and I, and I kind of am starting to understand why maybe he's put in the first, the first uh, fight of the night. He's had three straight decision wins. Before that, he dropped, uh, he dropped two fights. His one like really amazing fight was against Jorge Masvidal, and it's kind of hard to not have an amazing fight with Jorge Masvidal. Before that, win via a thumb injury, and then he had that that beautiful suplex win. That was really the last time that he had a, a stoppage that you're like, damn, look at that guy. And that was his first fight in the UFC. So I kind of understand that. Um, there were a couple of other notable things that happened on the the prelims. Jack Hermanson made his uh, debut, called out Talos Latest afterwards. You don't often hear a debuting fighter call out a veteran like that. I thought that was impressive. Ashley Evan Smith also wants a rematch with Raquel Pennington. Ashley Evan Smith has won three out of four in the UFC, so that's not out of the realm of possibility. But given the, the way that Raquel Pennington has performed over the last, oh, I don't know, couple of years, I would think she's maybe destined for different things than a rematch that was a first-round finish. What, what do you think about these two fighters in particular calling out uh, the two people they called out? Um, you mentioned Jack Hermanson, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed with his performance. I mean, 30-27, 30-27, 29-28, those are pretty good scorecards. Um, I think he's he's got some time before he can call out a guy like Thalas Latis. But yes. um, I was very, very impressed with his performance. I like when I see when a guy fights like that. It's the same thing with Hobbyloff, man. When he started off in the UFC, you're like, wow, this guy's made to put on a performance like that. There's still some time to figure out what's going to happen with Jack Hermanson uh, and his career and where does he go from here. But uh, I think about with Phallus Latis, it's still, um, you know, it's, it's still a ways away. Um, in terms of Ashley Evan Smith, uh, solid performance, solid, you know, TKO finish there with the elbows and the way she was able to trap, um, you know, Veronica. But um, can you make the argument that she deserved that, that rematch? Probably no, not yet, considering how it finished the first time. Um, but it's not like it's a division that's super stacked. Uh, uh, and, you know, good on her for calling one of those things. If you want fights, you got to sort of make some noise. And, you know, the fact that you and I are talking about it, she's making noise. So will she get it? Probably not. But, you know, good on her for doing it. It'll take some time. But she's a lot closer to fighting uh, or getting that rematch with Raquel uh, than Jack Hermanson, in my opinion, is getting a shot uh, to take on a guy like Thalas Latis. I couldn't agree more. Also on the prelims, Peter Sabata won. That's his third or fourth fight uh, that he's won. Taylor Lapolis, I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm probably not. Also, you got to throw a French accent in there, I think. It's uh, Lapilus. Lapilus, there we go. Also has won three of four now. So some hidden 
gems of fighters on that show, but or on that those prelims, but there was not that fight to me that that stood out, and I was like, damn, I gotta call up everybody and and tell them about this fight. Not not on those prelims, but there there were a few very interesting things that happened on this main card. You had the German Nick Hein get the victory. That you, you gotta love that for Germany when they have a German card like that. Uh, unanimous decision victory, 29-28, 30-28, 30-27. what I want to ask you most about this is, what does it tell you when you have three completely different scorecards? Do you see that as a good thing or a bad thing? Generally speaking, um, ju- judging should never truly be subjective. And that what I see there are, are three judges that are having different sort of almost scoring criteria as perhaps not paying attention to what should be scored uh, with the basic rules of, of the unified rules of mixed martial arts. Um, I mean, how many times have we seen scorecards where it's a split decision where one guy's got 30-27, the other guy gets a 30-27, and then a judge in the middle has a 29-28. I mean, no, those are scorecards right there that are completely whacked, right? But, you know, it, it just goes to show, again, I, I, I don't know who the three judges were. I was, I was listening uh, to when, when they were being announced by Bruce Buffer, and some of the names I just didn't recall, uh, either hadn't heard of. Um, but, you know, it, it goes it, – we're still, it's still a sport. I hate saying when it's young because I don't believe it's young. Um, there should, you know, the, the saying has always been, Sean, never leave it in the hands of the judges. Well, that's, you know, I call bullshit on that. You know, if the judges are certified and they know what they're doing and they're scoring it correctly, ground or cage control, whatever you want to call it, then they're going to score the fight correctly. And you should all only have officials that know, or officials and or judges that know what they're doing. It's when they don't know what they're doing. Like there was one card here. There was one fight when I was looking, I'm like, what were you watching that there was one round where the fighter, I know he lost. He got two. I'm trying to remember which fight it was. I was just completely like, dude, what are you watching? I'm I'm just looking at the scorecards, right? Okay. It's not coming off the top. It's not not showing me anything here, but there was one fight where I was like, are you kidding me, dude? It was a Jim Wallhead fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jim Wallhead, after all that he's been through, all that's went on with, with his career, from the Ultimate Fighter to Bellator, finally makes it to the UFC, and he loses. That sucks, you, man. Yeah, it does. It, your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, Judo Jim Wallhead has is, is always been a guy that – you know, anyone and everyone in mixed martial arts knows. The guy's got, what, f- almost 40 fights, if I'm not mistaken? Um, you know, he's at that age. I know he's in his early 30s. Uh, yeah. He's been around the block. He's finally made it to the UFC. But, you know, Sean, you and I have talked about it before. Is this a situation where the, you know, the, the MMA mileage on the body in a catch-up? Beating since 2005 that puts 11 years on his body. That's no joke, man. Yeah, that, that can be very rough. And... I mean, geez, he's, he's been fighting since he was 21 years old, I think. Maybe even younger. He's probably trained since he was about 20. So, I mean, that, that can be very rough. And that, that was one of the more anticipated fights on the prelims because of who he was. And it, it just didn't work out for him. But he'll, he'll get another crack at it. The UFC doesn't usually do one-and-dones. Uh, they usually give guys at least two chances. So he will have another chance to make good on this. Hopefully, for his sake, he does because I would hate for him to get there and then after all that, after all that, not at least get one victory. Well, I'll say this. We look kind of stupid today, Joe. 
because we said that the fight between Ryan Bader and Eli Latifi was either going to go all three rounds or it would probably end very early. In fact, it was a knockout right in the middle of the fight. Right smack dab in the middle, Joe. All right, podcast over. Have a nice night, Sean. Thanks, everybody, for watching. We're idiots. Bye-bye. Indeed. So this, this KO from Ryan Bader, that was nice. That was, that was fantastic. ridiculous the way Latifi just falls back like that. It was like – It looked like he got hit by Rumble Johnson. Yes, correct. Yeah. That was unbelievable. Like – and that happens from Ryan Bader. Like sometimes it's easy to forget that that happens from Ryan Bader because for so long he had that reputation as the grinder, as the guy who didn't have the most exciting fights. But he can sleep people. That was from the takedown attempt, right? Eler tried to, to get that takedown, and Ryan's like, you're not doing that, and you're slow right now, and I'm going to hit you with a knee. Am I correct? Sure. Yeah, and then he just flops back, and you're like, whoa, dude, oh, my God. And you saw his, his hands sort of doing this, like, I'm okay. Well, no, <laughs> you're, you're hurting, bud. Somebody asked me, and I think he would be, but they asked me if, if I thought that Eler Latifi – would still be in the UFC had Gustafson not pulled out of that fight with Musashi. I think he would have made it there by now. Good question. Good question. Um, trying to go back to his track record before he got there, because that was like what? Like a, not even a week's notice? It was like super, super quick? Yeah, he was 7-2 and two before that, and he had just won the Superior Challenge Light Heavyweight Championship. But, I mean – Heading into this fight, so if you don't include the Musashi fight, which, you know, he wasn't going to win. He was not going to win that fight. He didn't have much of a chance. Going into this Bader fight, he was like 5-1 and one outside of that because he, uh, he beat Snake Diabate. He beat uh, Chris Dempsey. He beat Hans Stringer, uh, Sean O'Connell, John Vellante. John Vellante, that was a pretty good victory, too, because John Vellante, probably the best, best guy that he beat. So, I mean, I think that yeah. he would have eventually gotten there. But the fa- you know the fact that he he had that fight with Gegard Musashi that definitely sped up the process. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, taking that on short notice at that point, you are in the good books uh, of the then Zufa era. Uh, you saved a main event. You saved a show in Sweden. Uh, you make Dana White happy, Joe Silva happy, and you know they're, they're going to reward you. Uh, and it's not like the guy doesn't compete and have good fights. It's not, it's not like he just shows up there uh, and takes a beating. He goes in there. Right, he goes in there, does yeah. what he has to do, and you know, you know, he lives by the edge of a sword. You know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But you know, good for him for trying. I, I, I mean, you and I, we broke down this fight with with Bader. We kind of figured, yeah, Bader's going to win this fight. It may not be the most exciting fight, could end early, or it could be really boring and go late. But you know, good good for for Latifi getting in there and and, and banging with these guys. And, and like I said, that John Volante victory is no joke. I mean, you take out a guy like that, you know, Chris Wyman's your closest friend and training partner. That's pretty good, man. Twelve and four at the time, and now he's. You got that infamous fifth loss that people always talk about. So it's twelve and five and one now. We'll see where he goes from here. But you know, he's always a guy that can will be able to compete in, in um, you know in Europe. So I think the UFC will still keep keep him around for sure. And outside of the Volante and Musashi fights, generally his fights are very good. Eler Latifi's. I just thought with the way that he fights, generally his skill set and Ryan Bader's skill set, it would make for a less than exciting fight. But that finish, there was, there was plenty of excitement about that finish. And Ryan Bader continues to look really good. Six of his last seven, he's won. He has a problem with some of the top guys in their prime. When you're, when you're talking 
a Glover Teixeira, and Anthony Rumble Johnson, a John Jones, obviously. He lost to Tito Ortiz one time. There was that. Uh, he lost to Machida. Definitely those two were not in their prime. I would like to clarify that. But, you know, he does have some very, very nice wins on his record. Little Noguera, uh, Vinny Magalhaes back in, like, 08. Uh, I don't want to say Fajal because Fajal sucks now, to be quite honest with you. Ovince St. Preux, Phil Davis, Rashad Evans a little bit past his prime. But, I mean, those – if you you put those names on a list and you said, who was the guy who beat all these guys? You might be surprised to learn that that was Ryan Bader because he kind oh, of yeah, flies under the radar a little bit. No, you're totally correct. I mean, if you look, if you go up and down his record, it's pretty impressive. But like you said, when he starts getting into guys, minus, of course, uh, the Tito Ortiz and, and Lyoto Machida, although that Machida fight, uh, he made a massively tactical error. Yes. Uh, you can't rush in on a guy like that. You're going to pay the punishment if you do that. And, you know, he got that uh, obviously in the second round. But, um, yeah, you go up and down this list, Anthony Johnson, Glover Teixeira, uh, and John Jones, right? Like top guys in the division, right? So it's it's – he is one of those guys that is a top 10 fighter, arguably a top five fighter. But when he, once he gets in there with, with some of the top five guys is when he ends up uh, losing these fights. Something is not something in Ryan Bader's arsenal uh, either needs to be cleaned up, adjusted or enhanced uh, for him to do much better than, than, than what he's doing right now at 205. So, um, you know, Ido Latifi is, is a step down from Anthony Johnson because Anthony Johnson uh, really put a hurting on Ryan Bader. Uh, in that fight. So sure, it is yeah. what it is, but you know, we'll see what Bader's still relatively young. It's not like he's, you know, he's in his forties. I mean, the guy is 33, but he's a wrestler. Uh, and those guys can just go on forever. So we'll see what happens. Sure. And he's only lost to guys who have competed for light heavyweight titles. So you know what, if you're a gatekeeper in the UFC, make your living doing that. Not a, not a damn thing wrong with it. There are far worse jobs that you could have in life in combat sports than being the light heavyweight gatekeeper. I don't think there's any shame in it. And plus, he'll always be that guy. If, it, if it's last minute, you throw him in there, cool, throw him in there. It's not, he might not, might not have the most exciting fight, but I was ready to watch him fight Cormier last year. When they were jawjacking back and forth, I was fully ready. The press I thought conference, that, yeah, that press conference was awesome. Yeah, it was great. It made me interested in the fight, and the UFC didn't do it. And he was coming off of, I think, five straight wins. And, man, you, you want to talk about coming off of five straight wins? Anthony Peroche is Anthony Peroche, not, not a big This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Deal. But Feijal, you know, it's easy to, to sit there and build that up on UFC Countdown and saying he's a former Strikeforce light heavyweight champion. Ovin St. Pru, we, we've seen him compete. And, of course, he choked out the now legendary Nikita Krylov. So that's a huge, huge talent in the MMA world. Phil Davis is Phil Davis. And Phil Davis, on any given night, could defeat probably 98% of the light heavyweight division. And Rashad Evans. That was a fight that sent Phil Davis to Bellator. It absolutely was. And you could have given Ryan Bader a title shot after that. Absolutely. And I don't think anybody would have been like, oh, no, don't do that. He 
earned it. And unfortunately, he ran into Rumble Johnson. And, you know, Rumble Johnson changes people's lives. Alexander well, well, Gustafson. Now, now that we're talking about, about Bader like that, I mean, we, we go back to that press conference when he cracks the press conference uh, and was basically, you know, John with, uh, with DC. Um, he should have kept doing it over and over, even though he did lose uh, to Anthony yeah. Johnson afterwards. I mean, th- that, that's something Ryan Bader may want to consider. Just, con- con- just continually take a, call DC. Just nonstop over and over and over again. Even if he doesn't have the title, just keep calling him out over and over and over again. Oh yeah, it's it's very. It would be very easy for Bader to say that Cormier was ducking him. I mean, it's it would be very easy for him to just just throw that out there. And if people think you're crazy and you're stupid, fine. People thought that Chael Sonnen was crazy and stupid. I didn't believe a word Chael Sonnen said when he was talking all that trash about Anderson Silva, the greatest fighter in the world. I was like, man, he's really trying to sell this pay per view. And I'm not falling for it. I'm buying the pay-per-view, but I, I'm not buying the list of goods he's selling. And then we saw what happened. So uh, very, very interesting uh, to see where Ryan Bader goes from here. But we had another light heavyweight, Alexander Gustafson. Pretty dominant, especially after the first couple of minutes against Jan Blakowicz. 30-27 across the board. It's been a long time since Gustafson fought. He contemplated retirement, as we mentioned before. What did this performance tell you? Another thing we mentioned, this is only his second victory since the calendar hit 2013. It's a weird scenario. I mean, I was watching this fight with Gustafson, and you and I both spoke about, you know, this is going to technically be a very dominant finish or dominant victory by Alexander Gustafson or it's going to be a situation of much fight. I was watching this and thinking to myself, okay, you know, Alexander was in trouble a couple of times, but I think he's trying something new here. I think what he's doing is he's working on his takedowns, uh, and it's a, it's it's more glorified sparring session. It's an actual real fight, and now testing his newfound techniques of taking someone down on the ground and you know controlling the hips, control, making sure your shoulders are aligned, making sure if his hips move, you move, and stuff like that. Uh, constantly trying to pass the guard, just throwing a different element to his game. Because uh, remember, this is a guy that did take down um, uh, John Bones Jones. Um, so he can, he's got skills to take down uh, anyone in this division when you think about it. But it was to me, it was almost like, okay, I've learned these new skills. Now we're going to test them out in, in a real fight. Forget about the finish. If I get the finish, great. Uh, let me get my 15 minutes in and, and just get out there and work and work and work and earn my paycheck. This is a big step for Gustafson because, like I said, he has been in some very – he's been in some headline fights. He lost that fight to John Jones very close. He had the fight against Daniel Cormier. That's a, that's a headline fight. But the results over the past several years hadn't been indicative of him having that spot. Now, this wasn't a top talent that he fought, but it's – as we've mentioned, these types of fights need to happen more often. Get somebody back in there. Get him going. There's nothing wrong with that. There's a reason they have these fights in boxing. There's a reason why tune-up fights happen so much in that sport. And I think that Alexander Gustafson benefited from this, much like John Jones, well, kind of benefited from the Ovent St. Prue one. You, you could tell that John Jones needed that fight with Ovent St. Prue. I could tell that Alexander Gustafson needed this fight at UFC Germany. Um, 
It wasn't a spectacular finish. It wasn't anything of that nature. But it's the fight that needed to happen to have him, I think, mentally ready and put him back in there with top five heavy or top five light heavy, heavyweights. And let's look at the landscape of this division right now. John Jones, we don't know what's up with him. By all means, Rumble Johnson's getting that next shot, or he should at least. What's next for Gustafson? Uh, who who would be next? Maybe Glover Teixeira? Or John Jones. Sure. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm cool with that. that. Not that I'm not buying that John shouldn't get uh, an immediate title shot because he's arguably you know, the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. How but... many times can you piss away that, though? Come on. And now you, do, now you get Alexander Gustafson. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, you know, and this is a ca- categorically different situation, but Dominic Cruz, everybody knew he was getting that shot when he came back. Like, they knew that he was going to be in that top fight when he came back. But then he just got hurt so many times. They're like, listen, you got to fight Mizugaki. And he was like, cool, whatever. Now, this is the same with Jones, only Jones isn't dealing with injuries. He's dealing with screwing up repeatedly. So that's that's even more understandable that you say, hey, John, listen, you screw up a lot. So let's let's make this fight happen. And maybe John Jones wants to avenge that because because as we've heard before, John Jones did not train a lot for that fight. He came in incredibly out of shape. I remember his Instagram as he went into that camp. I was like, he's showing up in this kind of shape for this camp. And he didn't seem to take the fight seriously. But uh, I'm still interested to see how this John Jones thing plays out, like with with the suspension and all that, because even if he faces a year suspension, he's still got, what, 10 months left? If they go retroactively from when they pulled him. And we still don't know what Nevada will do. Well, Nevada's going to base it on what? What you saw to says right like mean Nevada oh, then again Nevada is Nevada yeah who knows you're right yeah. you're absolutely correct those they they operate in a they they just they're completely different than anyone else it's just they they might be the biggest nine year suspension yeah exactly right let's get Obama involved now this time again <laughs> main event and you know I try to not be biased I try to not be biased but my catch wrestling coaches were out training with Josh Barnett the weekend that this fight was announced and he used some good old-fashioned catch-as-catch-can wrestling to defeat Josh Barnett. A beautiful double wrist lock takeover that uh, got the fight to the ground, finished it with a rear naked choke. And now we're in a situation where Andre Arlovsky was very, very, very close to contending for the UFC title L- literally one year ago. It was one year ago yesterday that he defeated Frank Mir and had won four fights in a row. Now he's lost three in a row. Now the three people he's lost to, Stipe Miocic, champion, Alistair Overeem contending for the title this weekend, and Josh Barnett, the guy who just main evented UFC Germany against him. Not ready to write off Andre Arlovsky yet. I wasn't ready to write off Andre Arlovsky in 2011 when Sergei, Sergei Karatanov knocked him out, and that was four straight, or four straight he lost. Now keep in mind, this is a guy who two years ago when the UFC, or two and a half years ago when the UFC signed him, people thought it was ridiculous. There were people who thought this was a ridiculous signing, and I didn't understand that line of thinking. Third straight loss, say to you about Andre Arlovsky, Joe. 
Uh, if this was any other division, I'd be concerned. But because it's heavyweight and the power that he has and, and the ability that he, that, that he, can, you know, he can knock dudes out, um, it's not saying much. I mean, it's, it's heavyweight. It is what it is. Can, does he have another no once before? Uh, who knows? Anything can happen. He's not getting any younger, so he's got to figure out exactly what to do. Um, that choke, though, by Barnett, that was sick. That was mean. That was not, there was nothing nice about that choke. There was nothing, you know, I guess in BJJ, it's called, what do they call the gentle art? And catches can <laughs> wrestling is far from that. I mean, that, yes. Eh? It's the violent art. Yes. That was a violent rear naked choke. Just the way he, he, he put his arms and the way he squeezed, nothing nice about that choke. And, and good for him, though, to, to put it on and, and take out Arlovsky. But, I mean, A, do we, do, what do you do with Arlovsky considering, again, it's, it's a division that's not overly stacked. Uh, anything can happen at any time. These guys have power. Well, you know, when, when they throw, they're not throwing like a 125-pounder where they can pop, 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 pop. The power is there but not when you're moving that kind of mass and with that kind of speed. So um, I wonder if Arlovsky just needs to figure out more of a stick and move. I know I'm not Greg Jackson. I'm not Winkle John, but I'm thinking maybe more of a stick and move plan and stick to that striking unless you're forced to grapple. And if you do, you are forced to grapple, get the hell out of Dodge, get the fight back up, get it to the cage, use the cage to stand back up and just use your footwork because of, of all the heavyweights out there, he's extremely mobile. And if he takes advantage of his footwork, he could probably cause a lot of damage and continue maybe a third run uh, for a shot at the title. Oh, sure. Like, Roy Nelson and Antonio Silva are going to fight soon. I have no doubts that he would piece up either one of those guys because the blueprint has been created on how to defeat Roy Nelson, and it is exactly how Andrei Olovsky generally fights when he's a tactical fighter. Uh, he, he does. He pops in and out and stuff like that. But if you want to put a fight on, like, you know, say they do Fight Night Wisconsin or something like that. They could absolutely headline that with an Andre Arlovsky-Roy Nelson fight. That could, that could happen. You could put Andre Arlovsky-Antonio Silva second, third from the top on a Fox card. So I think there are plenty of places for him to go. Uh, you also have some very interesting names in that division. Francis Ngannou, uh, Derek Lewis, who has a fight. Uh, Maga Madoff. But, you know, there, I think there are some, play, some places for him. And Arlovsky dropped to number nine in the rankings. So he is about there. That is where he is. And one of the funny things about Josh Barnett, we noted, and I watched this with a bunch of catch wrestlers, you would not believe his gas tank is what it is if you looked at him physically. He doesn't seem to get tired. I look at some of these guys that are training sometimes, even Fedor. Look at Fedor. If you saw, and I'm telling you this because I saw a guy in the streets about, uh, I'm going to go two weeks ago, coming out of a white Honda Accord. looked and I'm like, I would never be afraid of that guy. And I look closer, I'm like, that dude looks like Fedor. And I'm like, holy, that guy would kill me, right? So don't ever, ever judge someone by, by the way they look. Because when Fedor was at the beach, if Fedor or Josh Barnett, are, are hanging out somewhere, uh, just doing whatever redneck stuff that they want to do, putting up a deck or cutting grass, and you walk, you drive by there, ah, that fat guy over there, that dude will mess you up. I learned a long time ago. One of my most, my oldest training partners is actually right now. He's a he's a chiropractor, neurologist, and going for his med. Like I mean, the guy is insane. He's got a photographic memory, but he was never, ever, ever. This guy could bench press 300 pounds, no problem. He's maybe a couple inches taller than me, puts him at 5'9", five, 5'10", five, five, 
and just just like a brick house. Shirt off, you're like, this guy, cardio for days. I've never seen him get tired. He went down uh, to Dallas and trained with the Machados forever and was always the first guy there, last guy off the mats, and they're looking at him going, like, not trying to call you fat, but you're not exactly ripped. And this guy, cardio for days. Josh Barnett, like I said, use that double wrist lock. I wish more people would use that it, the double wrist lock in general in MMA. It's an incredibly under underutilized tool with takeovers, with throws, with just saving yourself from a, from a takedown. Because a lot of times you'll you'll see, especially with catch wrestlers, when a waist lock is applied, immediately double wrist lock, immediately double wrist lock, and he he used that fantastically. Now, Josh Barnett has already fought the two people ahead of him in the rankings, Travis Brown, Ben Rothwell. He fought the guy behind him in the rankings, the two guys behind him, Mark Hunt, Andre Arlovsky. Mark Hunt, a much different fighter back then. I could see, well, I don't know if Mark Hunt wants to fight anytime soon. But if he does, I could see them going that route or Junior Dos Santos, who's sitting at number four right now. But there's also a guy, Cain Velasquez, who is always in the title mix. And if you want to keep him busy... That could be the way to go because they. I don't know what what will happen with Fabricio Verdum if he beats Travis Brown. Do you think they'll go? The, the heavyweight the heavyweight division is in an interesting looking place after UFC 203 because this was between last Saturday to this upcoming Saturday a big week for the UFC heavyweight division. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a it's going to get crazy this weekend. I'll tell you that uh, we're going to yeah. figure out what's going on. There's going to be some. Um, I don't know about solidification, but we'll we'll know a lot more after this weekend, and unless we we see some crazy upsets here, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what'll happen. With uh, I do like that Kane Velasquez fight and Josh Barnett. I've always liked that fight, uh, just to see where it would go. Um, I don't think that Travis Brown fight will happen unless you know Mm-mm. Barnett wants it really really bad. Uh, but I mean Brown messed him up in what sixty seconds, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. The Rothwell fight, that was kind of interesting. That was kind of like, huh? What just happened well, there? You, you, you look at the finishes with the Rothwell fight and the Brown fight. And Josh Barnett's the kind of guy that I don't see that type of finish. Like, he's the type of guy that's going to take that. I don't see – if they fought 100 times, I wouldn't – you know, Rothwell could beat him a fair number of times, but not that way. The way that he beat him, that would happen one time. The one time it did happen. The Travis Brown thing, it's another situation where I think that he absolutely didn't get didn't expect to get elbowed repeatedly in the head going for that sort of takedown, and he should have, because that's a Travis Brown thing. But um interesting place for Josh Barnett because he's another guy. This heavyweight division skews really, really old. And after this Saturday, there's going to be a lot to talk about. Now, before we go, I wanted to bring up very briefly. Uh, because Joe and I are back on Wednesday evening, you guys. Joe, will, where will you be tomorrow evening? Uh, Miami. Miami. Are you going to hang out with Pitbull? Uh, no, Pitbull's going to hang out with me. Mm, that sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> <sighs> um, GSP, a, a clip from, I think it's, let me let me check it out. I'm trying to find this story on Fightful.com, you guys. By the way, share it. Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, all that good stuff. Register, get access to our forums, our exclusives. Uh, Showdown Joe does multiple week, as does Vince Russo, Brandon Howard. We got all kinds of great stuff there. I do uh, plenty of writing. 
GSP said that he didn't have the same drive to hurt guys when he left MMA a couple of years ago. What what does that tell you about his his psychological situation back then as opposed to now? Because apparently he's okay with it now, and I know he is your boy. Uh, George is an interesting guy. I'll just say that. Um, uh, I think the uh, testosterone level in his body is a little higher than normal at the moment. If you know what I'm saying, this guy's just itching, itching. Have you ever been to a bar uh, or a club or anywhere uh, with any type of professional athlete who's generally aggressive? Um, you know, up here it's obviously hockey players. Uh, I guess down there are used to contact, are used to just beating the crap out of each other or hitting each other as hard as they can or doing stuff that needs to be done. I think that's where George's mentality is at right now. He's just like, you know what? I used to really enjoy this. I didn't like it. I needed time away. It was getting too much for me, all these interviews, all this stuff, and I'm the face of the sport and the biggest pay-per-view draw, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm not motivated anymore. And I don't, I don't think it's money. I'm pretty confident it's not money. I could, be, I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it's not money. I think this is a situation now where he's like, hey, you know what? I could, I could beat someone up. Yeah, beat up a few people, have some fun in there. They're not going to hurt me. And it's, it's that point there, right? Like, I mean, talking to some of the guys from the past, Sean, uh, that I know a lot of mixed martial arts that have competed in the UFC uh, that often tell me, you know, I don't want to hurt my opponent. It's just what I do. I don't want to hurt anybody. And George has said it many times. He'll never fight a friend. He never fights a friend. I always talk about was, he's like, Joe, he goes, would you fight a friend? I said, no, I would never fight a friend. I'd fight someone, not even barely an acquaintance, maybe but it's got to be someone I don't know and I'll shake their hand afterward. And he says, you know why I would never do it? He goes, can you imagine mounting somebody and you're throwing elbows and it's your elbow that cracks his cranium. Okay. It's a dirty sport. When you think about it, where it's mano a mano, we're fighting, uh, you know, it's not ping pong. We're there to hurt each other, but there's plenty of guys out there to hurt that aren't our friends. And I got that completely. I said, yeah, that's, that's the reason why. Uh, that's why when I hear people talk all the time, yeah, I'd fight a friend for a million dollars. Well, that's it's not worth it to me. Um, but for George's sake right now, I think uh, he's got that itch, man. He's got that itch to just let it all out and just beat the crap out of someone. Joe and I are back tomorrow night. Also, we're here Saturday night. And tonight I am back with Rob McCarron of Shake Them Ropes post-Smackdown. He had some technical issues. Uh, before, uh, And we switched nights with him and Jeff. Now, Joe, I don't know if you're familiar with Rob, but he pledged a year ago that if CM Punk ever fought in the UFC, he would, and I quote, eat a hat. Wow. This. Uh... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So as I said to Jeff, like, I bet we, if you went to his house, if you broke into Rob McCarron's house and you went to Google and you know how it does the autofill thing? Yeah. And you typed in, like, W. It would fill out, will I die if I eat a hat? <laughs> Something like that. I believe you it. Know, that's crazy, man. That's, that's why I don't wager, man. Because I just... I, w, WH. WH. Where can I find edible hats? One of those things. And I think that if he finds an edible hat, people will be okay with it. I don't think people want Rob to die, despite what our comment board sometimes says about him. I think that they like Rob. And he has a great show, Shake Them Ropes. He's great on Fightful.com. He's got to find a way around it. Uh, maybe a cheese hat. I don't know. 
But dude, you just figured it yeah. out for him. You totally figured it out for him because now he's got a fallback. It, oh, it's a hat, and I mean, think he. Ha- if you think he hasn't done that research on his own already, man, <laughs> I got to end the show. There are sirens outside my house. Apparently, things get real here in in suburban Kentucky. Guys, I am back tonight. Me and Joe are back tomorrow night and Saturday. Full coverage of UFC 203. Lots of cool stuff coming to Fightful.com. Until next time, we are out. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.